Hi all, Rob here. Just a quick note before we start. When we recorded this episode, my microphone decided to default to my webcam's microphone instead of the proper microphone that I usually use and that I'm using right now. And so my audio in this episode is rather poor. I want to apologize for that in advance. And uh, luckily, uh, most of the time it's Dawn and our guest speaking and I just pop up from time to time. But anyway, I just want to uh, let you know that the whole audio isn't bad, just mine, when you first start listening. Anyway, it's a fantastic interview. Please enjoy the show. insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions, gamers dominate the tabletop, and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies, and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Blag thung, earthlets. Uh, okay, apparently we're speaking a strange language, which is good because today we're talking about UK comics. And uh, for many North American readers and listeners, obviously, um, that is a strange language. It's a, it's a distant foreign land that we know very little of. And because Don and I you know, have varying familiarities with um, the comics of our, of our mother country, England, over there, uh, we brought in an expert, Richard Sheaf, who is a UK comics blogger and writer, has agreed to join us and help us to learn more about the mysterious world of British comics. Welcome to the show, Richard. Hey guys, thank you for the invite. Very pleased to be here. Oh no, thank you for coming. As I was mentioning just before the show, before we start recording, you know, I know almost nothing about British comics, but I'm actually very eager to learn because I've been discovering troves of British comics online and I'm just shocked by how much how many comics there were, like how much content England was producing back in like the sixties, seventies and eighties that I as a North American comic reader had no idea about. I mean, I knew there were some comics in the UK, but I had no idea how much was really being produced back then. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it one of the uh, biggest, I think they were the biggest publisher in the world at the time, probably an uh, amalgamated press. Um, you know, they, they were one of the publishers who came from, they had newspapers uh, and magazines and comics, and, you know, and they just, they produced so much material uh, as one of the, the big publishers uh, so you know the number of people strips uh, you know foreign material you know that, that they would use as well just you know just to keep uh, mm -hmm. the, the volume of comics they had going uh, you know it, it, it's incredible uh, you know big, been big you know high sales figures as well you know it's you know it's a lot of titles selling a lot of copies uh, per week Right. Well, yeah. And, and that thing, it's weekly. Like, our comics were monthly, but you guys actually had weekly comics, which, so there's even more content being produced. Um, so, but let's take a step back first. Um, so, in North America, our modern comics era basically effectively starts with a guy named Bill Gaines Sr., who basically puts, who starts 
assembling uh, what they would call funny books back in there, weekly newspaper strips and Sunday strips, puts them together into uh, little bundles that he starts selling. And that would have been in the 1930s, right, Don? Or is that no, late 20s? Yeah, it's, it's Cavalcade of Comics is kind of the first, and I think that was something like 1929 or 1931. Right. Um, okay, so there we go. And so where does the modern age, because I, of course, Britain has a long history of cartooning and such, but where does the modern age of British comics start, really, Richard? Uh, the modern age, well, I guess, um, I mean, you know, you go all the way back, you know, to the, probably just before sort of the era of, of the Yellow Kid uh, in North America, you know, that's the sort of right. the really, uh, you know, that's the sort of mid to late, uh, uh, late 19th century, I guess. Um, and there are a number of publishers who sort of come out of that, era uh and the material they're publishing is initially it's for it's for adults you know it, it's mm -hmm. funny things you know they, it is comical uh rather than right. comics uh as, as we'd understand them and those publishers uh you know they move into uh, news you know they're sort of newspapers as well as um you know very text heavy mm -hmm. uh, uh titles that you would have had you know in the sort of in that era the sort of 1920s uh, and 30s um mm -hmm. and then probably in that sort of that post-war, you know, the the baby boom, probably, you know, from, from the 1950s, um, you see titles like uh, The Beano, uh, which is mm. published in Scotland um, mm -hmm. by a company called DC Thompson. That's been going since the 1930s um, oh, okay. and, and it's still okay. going now. Um, so, you know, th they have a whole sort of stable, if you like, or, of humour comics uh, that they run. And then in London... Um, you have publishers uh, like Associate, uh, like Amalgamated Press, uh, like Halton, uh, and they are producing more uh, titles, you know, more maybe more uh, adventure or war orientated. Um, mm -hmm. And they will, you know, e eventually publish things like uh, 2000 AD, uh, which, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. But probably, yeah, that's sort of that, that there, although there is a golden age around the First World War, British mm -hmm. comics probably. You know, the modern age, you know, is for those, those baby boomers uh, after the Second World War. Hmm. OK, well, that would be similar then to to the American system, although because yeah. a lot of our, our golden age of Marvel and everything is basically around the Second World War for the most part. Although it's kind of happening during the Second World War, isn't it, Don? Yeah, um, just to go back a bit, the in North America, what's considered the first comic book proper was uh, Famous Funnies in 33 and yeah you for for north america what we consider comic books kind of starts just before again like uh 33 the first one of these just before world war ii um going to britain uh you were you were talking about like the text heavy works i know um some historians would say that the the british comic industry kind of starts in a prototypical form with uh, Punch. Yeah, so Punch uh, starts in uh, eighteen in the eighteen sixties, maybe. Um, so, and then you know, again, that's very text heavy, uh, mm. and um, you know, while it does have illustrations in, you know, and is aimed um, at an adult audience, um, and there are other titles that are produced at a similar time, uh, including Judy. Uh, and then we'd probably have uh, comic cuts uh, would be probably considered the, the, the first British comic 
Um, and again, that's um, a, you know in a similar in a, a similar time, and it's taking funny stories like uh, that you would read you know in the newspaper, you know, and something that would be comical that would make you laugh, uh, and it takes that and it you and it adopts straight away that you know the weekly format. Uh, we, you know, which I guess is one of the big differences between UK comics and North American comics. Uh, you know, is that it's quite. You know, we are quite a small island over here, so you know you can get stuff from. It's only, I don't know. I looked it up. It's 867 miles from you know tip to toe. Um, oh wow! Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, it, you know, it's easy to you know to distribute comics you know around the whole country. Uh, or magazines or newspapers, you know, um, you know, on a, on a regular basis, and find out what is working, what is working, what's selling, what's not selling, um, and probably that sort of, you know, that that focus on text-heavy material, um, mm. you know, really continues, you know, uh, in the sort of around the time of the First World War, uh, and afterwards, you have uh, titles that are put out by again that publisher DC Thompson that I mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. They have titles like um, Adventure, Rover, Wizard, um, mm. Skipper, uh, and and they are you know again they're very um, they're densely worded you know big story you know long stories you know you know boys in the empire sort of thing so they're really um, you know selling that that idea um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's where, yeah, that's that's probably you know they're not not so collected uh, these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they they all ran for um, a long time, um, and some of those titles, um, you know, have been republished and re- relaunched um, mm-hmm. over over the decades. Um, but they've, yeah, they you know very successful at, at the time. But but eventually, that's sort of in. I think you said 33 for Famous Funnies, so probably yes. by um, 1938, um, we had the launch uh, over here of a comic called The Beano, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I suppose is the original meaning of the word Beano, uh, you know, like a sort of a, um, uh, maybe it's like a slap up feed, you know, to, you know, to something jolly, something fun, a bit of a Beano, a day out. Um, okay. Oh, that's what uh, that means. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We don't use that term here, so... And no, we wouldn't use it in that term either. You know, if you said you know a beano, people would you know would, would think you were talking about the comic rather than uh, anything else. So there's the beano oh, okay. uh, and the dandy, and the beano starts in 1938 uh, and is weekly. I know, although you know fortnightly during the Second World War. So they've just published their four thousandth issue. Oh, uh, man. So uh, you know, so they're going. They're still going pretty well. Um, but you know, the other titles that they've had, um, you know strong emphasis on sort of humor titles uh and they've all you know and the other titles they've they've produced like the dandy the uh Beza, topper all, all the other sort of titles have, have have faded away over the time mm-hmm. they're sort of down to this sort of last man standing title right um, now are all these comics comic. sorry to interrupt but are all these comics that they're producing they're pretty much targeted towards young people mostly young boys at this point uh so for um, so for a title like like the Beano, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's sort of uh, we'd we'd call it primary school age children here. Okay. So that's okay. sort of kids up to the age of you know ten or eleven. Right. Uh, reading that uh, and other titles they published, you know, in a very similar age range. That was um, 
yeah, that, that was sort of the, the piece of the market, I guess, they were interested in. Um, although, interestingly, they do publish another title, uh, which is called Commando, um, okay. which has been running since 1961. Uh, and it, I think it comes out, I think they put out, it's a mixture of new material and reprint material each month. So some of the titles have been issued before. Um, but that's been running since 1961, and that's nearly up to issue five, five and a half thousand. Um, and that's a little sort of square sort of digest 64 pages um and that is uh, war based uh, mm -hmm. comic strips all, all sorts of wars over um over time obviously with you know with a a, a focus um probably still on the the second world war but you know but but plenty of mm -hmm. conflicts over the years um yes. feature in that um and that has very, you know, that's like I say, it's been going for uh, 60 years. So that's, you know, that's very well established. And that, you know, is not aimed at the, you know, 10 year old boys. And <laughs> that's aimed at a slightly, you know, I don't know, I don't know, uh, older and, and an adult audience as well. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a well established, you know, within the forces, people reading it um, in a way that they, you know, um, wouldn't read other titles. Although there aren't probably very many. There aren't lots of other titles left, you know, on a sort of on the newsstand that you could buy every week um, at, the, at the moment. Well, oh yeah, we'll we'll get to the current comic scene after yeah. a bit. So, but okay, that that's fascinating. So they're really so at least back in the day, there they back in referring to like the nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, they were basically publishing comics for different ages and different groups, like men and women. Well, actually, did they have women's comics back then? There were. I mean, there are some. Very, I mean, there's a title um, called Blue Bird, which is right. from the 1930s, which is sort of aimed at the shop girl, sort of factory worker, um, uh, I think. Um, so, but, you know, but but play, but always more titles for boys uh, th th than, than for girls. Um, but again, right. you know, there have been some girls' titles that have become established, you know, either from DC Thompson or from... Mm -hmm. uh, what ended up as being Fleetway or IPC uh, right. in London um, that, you know, that ran very successfully for a long time. Titles like Mandy, Judy, Bunty, you know, so some of these titles, you know, run for a thousand issues, um, which, mm -hmm. you know, even being produced at uh, weekly, you know, you still have to run for 20 years to get yeah. to a thousand issues. Yeah. Um, so it's very, I guess the British comics, because they're, because they're published weekly, mm -hmm. it's, it, it it's very i guess it can be very clear if you're like in the marketing department right. you know what is working because you know you get feedback you know quite quickly yeah, um, yeah. on okay. on a on the title and because uh because of the anthology nature of british comics versus mm -hmm. north american comics i'd say you know you've got you know six seven eight strips you know in a uh, in a weekly comic you know you put a little coupon in there that says you know just you know, let me, you know, send this back to the editorial address and let us know what your top three strips are. Right. Uh, so you yeah. can end up, you know, having a very, uh, I, you know, sometimes, you know, a high turnover because it's very clear, you know, what stories are popular and what stories are unpopular, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and what and what t uh, titles, you know, are popular, or unpopular, you know, because you get those sales figures in every week. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a very, or, you know, was a very sort of dog eat dog um sort of world of trying to work out you know what was 
you know, get that Venn diagram of, you know, what's the perfect girls comic? Oh, you got to have a bit of this, you got to have a bit of that and a bit of that. But uh, oh, no, we're going to have a little bit less of that and we're going to have a bit more of this. OK, you know, you can you can play around with, you know, the contents, you know, pretty easily because you get feedback so quickly because you're just selling so many copies. You're sending them. Right. Yeah, that, that's that actually. Sorry, I just wanted to bring this up. So that actually is a big difference between uh, UK comics and American comics that Richard just brought up that we should have actually mentioned at the beginning is that most of them are anthologies, correct, Richard? Like, there are very few British comics that are just one story. That, that's right. I mean, so so Commando, which we just talked about, that, that would be an exception. You know, that would be one story uh, from okay. the... Uh, from the get-go, uh, but but all the rest, uh, absolutely, are, you know, are anthologies, even with titles like um, something, we, you know, which is still going uh, here, which has been going for 30 years, the Judge Dredd magazine, so Judge mm -hmm. Dredd, you know, comes from 2008, there have been a couple of movies, uh, right. you know, um, so I'm guessing, you know, people have a little idea about who he is, even within the sort of the, the, the magazine, or the, the magazine, as it's uh, branded, oh. um, here um they are stories set within that world it's not a single very long judge dread story every issue in fact you know in some ways you know he's not in it so much because they're about the world and the other characters it's a sort of opportunity for other people to sort of play in that sandpit um, right. if you like mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah and, and anthologies um uh, are very big very popular um i mean there have been times when you know there have been um uh, you know, I guess it was one of the things about 2000 AD when it started mm -hmm. was it had slightly fewer strips, but they were slightly longer to try and sort right. of allow you a bit more time to get your, you know, your 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 teeth into the strip, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, but often, yeah, very short sort of, you know, two pages, three pages. That's it. You know, next strip, two pages, next strip, two pages, next strip. You know, so you're wow, really just how can they get much of a story in two pages is I, I mean, I've seen some British comments that I aren't they. Uh, isn't a single page that they're using for these comics? Aren't they bigger than a North American comic is? So, so yeah, so so uh, so yeah, they they're definitely bigger, uh, and you know, and I guess they would. Although they've been, if I think back to something like uh, 1950, uh, so there's a mm -hmm. comic that I'm particularly interested in. Um, it was called Eagle. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, when that comes out, you know, that's almost sort of A3 size. You know, it's uh, you okay. know. You know, it's really big, um, and, and they've sort of been gradually shrinking and shrinking. Um, but within a strip like, or within a comic like Eagle, um, you know, those are single page strips. So you've right. only got, you know, maybe uh, a, a you know, you've probably got four four banks of of uh, panels. So you've got mm -hmm. a dozen panels to wrap up whatever the problem was in the last episode, move the plot on. And set up a dilemma, you know, to encourage you to come back and read it next week. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's, you'd say that that either encourages, you know, really great storytelling because if you can tell a story, mm. you know, in a dozen panels, then wow, you know, if you then try and have a North American comic to write, you're like, wow, I've got 22 pages to tell this, you know, you know, yeah, yeah. you can really do that. Um, on on the other hand, you know, there's because you always have to have a, you know, a, a, some sort of drama at the end of the episode. You can have a lot of times where I guess you're not actually doesn't feel like you're actually progressing somehow the story isn't progressing you're just perpetually mm -hmm. sort of stuck in a oh hang on something's gone wrong you know there's actually there's never enough time for the thing to go right and for the story to get it resolved so um, but there, there are definitely sort of writers you know who wrote for these comics who wrote across titles you know for 20 or 30 years and you could really spin this 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 single concept out mm -hmm. 
because I guess you know you've got that you're living in that very dog eat dog world of knowing what comic you know what strip within that comic is working um you know mm-hmm. if you get to the top of the charts and you've gone you've started going down this particular route uh, then you really have to stick with it because you know your story is top and you want your story to stay at the top um yeah so if I think of so within like um there's a particular story I'm thinking of that I'm very fond of and it's called Billy's Boots uh, and okay. the sort of the you know the, the set is a football story uh, mm-hmm. and the idea is that he's a young kid sort of 10 11 12 uh, and he has a pair of okay I'm going to call them football boots but I think you would call them soccer boots um, right. and he's so he's not playing American football he's playing you know soccer so right. his soccer boots were owned uh, by a famous footballer from um, uh, from 50 or 60 years before and and he feels that you know these are like these are like magic boots, and when he wears the boots, he plays really well. When he doesn't wear the boots, he doesn't play very well. Mm. Um, so so he's always playing very you know. And so if he's always wearing the boots, then it's going to be quite a boring strip, because he's just going to score all the goals and he's the hero every week. Right. So actually, the story becomes like an anti-football strip, because actually the danger, the excitement, is in him losing his boots. So he has to lose his boots every week. <laughs> <laughs> and how long and did this thing run for? Oh, 20 years, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Once you've got an idea, people love it. You've got to stick with it. You've got to go with it. People love him losing the boots. Okay, he's got to lose the boots <laughs> this week. Um, and, yeah, I, oh, I'll, I'll send it to you. But I, I have got an example. Like in a, It's condensed. It's in a holiday special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's... It's like he loses his boots. He sort of somebody throw. I think somebody throws them over a wall, uh, and then he goes to look for them. He goes. He, he then goes to look over the wall, and he's like, "But my boots, they're not here. Where can they have been?" And it turns out that the the person who threw them over the wall, they landed on a passing truck. The truck, you know, <laughs> drives off into the nearest town. The boots then, you know, they then empty out the garbage from there. They end up on a building site. They nearly go into some concrete. But yet somehow he gets to the building site, you know, and, and, and stops them going in the concrete. Um, so, yeah, once you've got an idea and it's popular, <laughs> you just, you've, made a bed, you've made your bed. You've got to lie on it. You've got to keep going with this thing uh, for 20 years. Uh, and there are script writers who did that, you know, and credit to them. <laughs> Absolute credit to them. That, that takes skill. It's incredible. Yeah, because yeah, that's... um. Oh, there's a couple things come out of that that whole kind of kind of thinking. Um, one thing I was wondering, like I mentioned Punch because uh, I know that was again it was it was it was uh, like a magazine aimed at an older audience. And when our comics in North America started, they came out of the newspaper strips, and the newspaper strips here were at the time when you get to twenties, thirties, were considered entertainment for for the I don't want to say the masses, but they were considered like a more grown up thing. And then as you got the comics in North America, they started becoming considered lowbrow. And eventually after the, uh, the Wortham book, they became considered nothing but for kids for a long time. Whereas it looks to me that, um, in, in Britain you had when the Beano came out, that it was almost the idea of producing something like punch in that tradition for kids right off the go. Um, so I guess, uh, so yeah, so, so the Beano, um, I suppose what's different about the Beano uh, and, the, and the Dandy, which sort of came out at a similar time from the same publisher, um, is that although they had, they were the first probably 
comics to move away from just having text in them. So they mm-hmm. had some you know, comic strips in them, as you know, as we would understand it now. Um, they still had some text material in there, um, but it was a sort of a, 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 you know, an experiment about not just having text. They had yeah. some strips as well, and then over time, uh, the strip, you know, the text material faded away, and it all became uh, a cartoon strip material. Um, you know, which is very different from what from what the publisher DC Thompson were putting out at the time. You know, which was very text heavy. Um, an adventure based um so so these were really something quite different uh, but um but you know but but they caught on um and obviously the second world war slowed their production down um but that sort of but they survived that um and they were then sort of ideally placed um to catch on to those sort of post war baby boomers you know young kids um i think it's in April 1950, I think that the Beano records its ever highest ever sort of sales figure, you know, and that's you know they've got a, the biggest cohort ever, probably of five year olds or something, you know, in 1950. You know, they're all oh. born in that. You know, so you know, that's um, um, and yeah, and, and they've you know, so you're selling you know nearly two million copies in a week then, um, and you know, obviously they don't sell anything like that now, but you know, even if you lose, you know. 50,000 readers a year you know if you start at 2 million you know you can you know you can you can you can keep going for a long time and you know and you roll other comics into it because I guess that sort of that idea of mergers is again a thing that happens in British comics that I don't know if that happens in American comics um would you have I, I you know I don't expect that Batman you know ever merges with another Batman title they, is that the thing that happens they, they do what happened here is it for the longest time, you would get characters owned by the same company, like a DC comic, would occasionally swap characters around because they realized back in, in the 50s, if you have two superheroes, it usually sold more. Okay. But it, it seems like um, the, the way the British comics always seem to do it, there was... Because a lot of the characters I noticed, they'd move around different magazines. So yeah, th- there's a bit of that. Um, so what you so there's a there was a there was a policy around what this was called. So it was mm-hmm. called Hatch, Match, and Dispatch. Okay. So okay. Um, so w- what this means is, um, you know, you so you you start with your new comic, you know, Hatch, you you hatch it, uh, and then you know if that, that's you know if it's um, uh, a success then then great you know if it's not so much of a success then you know you try and because these publishers were putting out so many comics you know you'd say okay it's, this isn't really working for this title um so what we're going to do is we're going to match it with something that's doing something quite similar but a little bit different right. um uh and then it will be dispatched you know it will be closed down um so um often you know new comics were launched you know just you know you get obviously that that sales peak you know in week one because you give away the free gift you got the advertising you know everyone's excited about it um but then you know you, you come back a few years later and you've tried doing a bit more advertising it hasn't really worked okay so you have to find a similar sort of title with a similar audience you know boys uh and then you pair them up and then you're right you know you take one character um who starts in one comic and then they they go into that into that other comic um so if i think of um, something like uh, so, 2000 AD. Um, one or you know, a couple of the the really big 
uh, stories that have run in there very successfully for a long time. Uh, so one of them would be uh, Strontium Dog, uh, which features a, mm-hmm. about a mutant bounty hunter um, drawn uh, uh, for most of its life by its original artist uh, called Carlos Esquera. Uh, but that started in a different comic. That started in Star-Lord and ran in Star-Lord. Uh, and then Star-Lord got cancelled, so it got merged into 2000 AD. And then Strontium Dog as a character ran in 2000 AD, you know, for the next, I don't know, you know, 30 or 40 years. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, but normally the the characters that get absorbed or the strips that get absorbed into the sort of the, the comic that wins, if you know what I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, they don't last so long. You've just got to get them in for a few weeks so that you definitely absorb the readers who are reading the other comic. And then ah, they, you know, they maybe fade away, um, but but sometimes you know they they can really run and run. Um, so, because that now would they swap between publishers ever? Um, no, I mean what you would be more likely to have uh, a smaller publisher brought up by a larger publisher. Oh, okay, um, so you ended up with. So DC Thompson are sort of a Scottish company uh, mm-hmm. publishing comics. And then there were a number of sort of London-based publishers uh, publishing comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I go back to, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned, um, Eagle, sort of post-war mm-hmm. comic. So that was published uh, by um, a company called Halton, Halton Press, who were successful magazine publishers, really. That was what they were into uh, before the Second World War. Um, and they started publishing comics Um successfully for a long time but then you know they got bought out by another bigger comics publisher uh, and uh, so yeah so it was more other publishers in the in the field um rather than swapping characters um you know from let's say uh, fleetway who sort of became the the overall sort of london publisher mm-hmm. would never swap titles with dc thompson the, the scottish publisher okay yeah because that was uh like I say, when I was young and we'd get a smattering of these things and you get the weeklies and it seemed like every couple of months when a, a batch would show up because you couldn't get them consecutively usually, you'd find characters moved all over the place and we, we weren't aware of who the publishers were. So we weren't exactly sure what company was pu- putting out what book. But yeah, they just keep popping up. And if you liked the character, it was a nightmare to try to track them down sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you have. And I think someone like... You know, thinking back to sort of seventies British comics, I think somebody like the there's uh, definitely as one. You're right. You know, swap between like a number of the sort of short-lived DC Thompson sort of boys titles. You know, that sort of went mm-hmm. across four or five, and it's like, wow. You know that that you know that character w- was popular. Um, mm-hmm. Starhawk. I'm not sure, but uh, but you know, but he did. You know, he he was successful enough that you know he kept going from uh, title to to title but normally you you'd only move once you know you you'd you'd get you'd you'd be merged in from your original comic into the merged comic you know if you were lucky you know if you're running sort of eight or nine strips um in each comic when they merge together you know maybe only four are gonna make it into the new comic you know maybe only three because really you just want the best um titles uh you know so you just bring the top three titles with you you know you then probably you know if there's another merger you know you maybe you survived that you know but but you probably you probably don't right because that kind of uh a question that sort of happens later on was in the 80s you had uh companies like i think it was titan 
that were putting out compilations. Uh, how early did that start for British comics, like putting together compilations of like one strip? Uh, so yeah, so Titan put out those uh, those black and white reprints uh, of the of the Judge Dredd um, series that that had been running in uh, 2000 AD. Uh, so you're right; those are sort of the early uh, 1980s. They're sort of a, a well, they're a trade paperback you'd call them mm-hmm. now, you know. Yeah. And they were, you know, they're yeah. quite sort of uh, you know maybe sort of is it 64 pages? Uh, I, I have some of them on my shelf, but they're slightly too far away uh, yeah. for me yeah. just to grab off the shelf. Um, It'd be like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are probably uh, the earliest sort of reprints um, that are put out there. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I guess one of the things that's different about British comics compared to maybe like uh, European comics, for instance, mm-hmm. is so within uh, European European comics, you know, you again, you've got a sort of a, you know, you're putting out a lot of material every week. And then yeah, the idea would yeah. be at the end of a, a certain period of time, you know, when you've got 64 pages, you've then got enough, you know, to put into, you know, uh, an album, as they would call it, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that then, you know, and that has that then has a longer shelf life because once you have an album, you know, you can just put, you know, you don't need to sell that this week. You know, that's yeah. got a like, year's worth of story in, and you know, so like with, you know, Asterix or Tintin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we, which are the biggest sort of European titles. Um, you know, once you have an album, then as well as having weekly income, I guess then you have you know income from that. You know, that you, that can sit on the shelf for a long time and just sell. You know, just keep sort of ticking over the sales. With British comics, um, not you know, they did the being produced every week, but never got to that next stage of right. When actually now we could gather these up and put these in an album. Mm-hmm. format um and have a whole different you know get really get into book bookshops yeah. rather than yeah. just you know new, new news agents um so those titan reprints um in the early 80s are that first sort of attempt to get into bookshops rather than just um comic shops and i guess you know with, with the time of that that probably lines up quite well with you know probably i think like 1986 is like this magical year for comics isn't it you know you've got dark knight returns mm-hmm. um um and uh watch them that come out that year yeah. uh, suddenly they are ah, you know comics are cool you know comics i want to be able to buy those in a bookshop so you know it probably ties in with that sort of you know comics are not just for kids anymore boom mm-hmm. um, but yeah that, that was a sort of the first concerted effort to collect those um titles up um the, but apart from like in in the uk the the tintin albums the asterix albums um and albums by other european producers um that that would occasionally appear mm-hmm. now because I'm, I'm wondering too then uh, with uh with that idea was it the i was it when you start getting into the uh late 70s early 80s and you were starting to kind of see british comics aiming for an older audience i think the the first one being what was that charlie's war was there more of an attitude that these stories because i know here in the early days of comics, they were seen as disposable. And that was why nobody worried about reprints or compilations, because they figured you write it and you got on with life. But was that how, like, uh, early British comics were seen? Was it the idea that you just read them and, and moved on? Or were there this idea that you might want to revisit them again and again? Uh, no, I, I, I think very uh, disposable, like you say. Again, uh, but, you know, because they're coming out every week, 
you know you, you know you don't have to wait very long for your next fix you know i guess if you know you're waiting for a you know a monthly issue of a you know a north american comic you know you you have to hold on to that because you once you've read it once you've got to wait you know you've got to wait a long time till another issue comes along so you probably reread it quite a few times to sort of you know pass the time whereas the british comics you know there's always ah there's no one next week you know so you just you know you maybe you you swap it a bit you pass it around with your friends you know there's always another issue coming up really soon um so you don't have to worry about um uh, uh keeping uh those comics um mm. but i guess like with so you mentioned the strip there you mentioned there uh charlie's war uh, mm-hmm. which is a strip that appeared originally in a, in a sort of a war themed comic um called battle um mm-hmm. uh and it uh is a you know, I guess, you know, the pitch to the editor must have seemed kind of strange, you know, because it's it's not dynamic. It's not exciting. You know, this is about trench warfare in World War One. You know, this is about people not going anywhere, not mm. doing anything. You know, you know, that, that's it's very opposite of, you know, what a lot of you know comics need to be. You know, they need to have that forward momentum. They need to have that that dynamism. You know, things need yeah. to be happening all the time. Uh, but actually in Charlie's War, you know, it's completely miserable. You know, they they sit in trenches uh, and get shot at and try and shoot back, and then they do the same next week and the same the week. <laughs> so you know, this is, to 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 get around that, you know, there is you know, there's an element of flashback, and you know, they use particular devices, to, you know, to to involve, you know, to ensure there is some dynamism in the strip. And um, but but that's an incredible strip, uh, Charlie's War. It's been collected a number of times over the years, most recently by <clears throat> excuse me, um, the current owners or you know of that material uh put out three you know really large uh volumes that collect uh all the material up um and yeah i mean the artwork you know is by an amazing artist uh chap called joe colhoun who illustrated you know a lot of strips um uh over uh, a very long period of time for british comics you know big name titles so uh so roy of the rovers it's a big sort of footballing strip that's been going for 65 years uh he's still very popular um and he's a real sort of you know that's a you know he that's a character that people on the street would know you know people would know him as a character so he starts you know he illustrates him when he starts in the 1950s um he illustrates you know so much stuff but yeah but his his masterpiece you know is this muddy dirty you know, a uh, strip that runs for, uh, I think it runs for maybe three or four years, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's really, really very miserable, but, you know, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's just, it's just fantastic. The, the art is amazing. Uh, the, you know, the level of realism, you know, everything in it is real, you know, there's nothing imagined in it. You know, it's yeah. very, you know, the writer, a guy called Pat Mills, um, you know, who was instrumental in, in the production of, you know, creation of of 2008 and types of like action. Um, you know, he he was uh, the writer on, on the strip, and you know, you know, he's a real sort of king of research sort of guy. You know, he only you know, put things in that really happened. You know, no matter how ridiculous um, that they look to us, you know, you know th- those are real things that that really happened. Uh, and yeah, and the, the the suffering they go through in the trenches is, is yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's an amazing strip. Charlie's War, I really recommend. You know, probably with uh, so the 
imprint that publishes them is a thing called the Treasury of British Comics. Um, and they, as well as selling physical copies, you know, which are convenient for me to buy, but probably with the postage, not so convenient for you to buy. Actually, they, you know, they sell digital copies as well these days. Um, so, you know, I'd really urge people to, to check that out as a strip. Yeah, that's that's one in North America. Uh, any any of the, the, the people who do research into, say, like the British comics, that's one that comes up here a lot because that's what a lot of people kind of consider a turning point. Mm-hmm. Because that's where you start getting kind of the the grittiness, the edge, and and more importantly, like like the bite that it was a series. It was not an upbeat comic. It 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 was meant to have an emotional impact, as opposed to strictly a visceral one, which is kind of what you get when you do a breakneck story at like five pages a week. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it's very. I mean, there had been, um, you know, I can think so. In this this comic uh, that I was just talking about, as a battle, uh, there are they run a number of uh, strips in there, which you know. So I read some of them recently. Um, so I'm particularly interested in one of the artists, a guy called Mike Weston, uh, draws this very particular, uh, you know, really heavy, thick black lines, and just you know, the black is so black, and oh, it's just fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, but he, you know, there's a couple of um, stories that he illustrates. Uh, one is called Darkie's Mob, um, which is about a sort of uh, a gang of people sort of trapped behind enemy lines in Burma, uh, you know, British soldiers trying to, you know, um, escape from Burma. Um, and, you know, and it is, and it is really, really violent, you know, <laughs> you know, there are, you know, people get, by which I mean, you know, that's not a surprise in a war comic, but it was probably, <laughs> um, an approach to war comics that had been different, um, you know, before we come to things like battle. Uh, and that approach was more, you know, jovial is the wrong way. Uh, but you know, there would be a, like a captain, as a character called sort of Captain Hurricane, who, oh. you know, is this sort of, you know, he has a, he has what he calls like a raging fury. He calls it, and he's just, you know, when he does that, he just sort of ties knots in the end of German tanks, tank <laughs> and things. So, you know, we're, we're within the remit of a, the comic world. You know, that is a thing, and that can happen. You know, and. But it's not, you know. But then you then you're moving, like you say, towards a more gritty, more realistic view of actually this is what happened. This is not what we wanted to happen. This is not, you know, you know. There are other stories to be told rather than just this, you know, those silly Germans, those silly Italians, and we tie knots in the tank barrels. You know, this is right. you know, it's it's a more realistic war, and there are different, I guess, uh, theaters of war examined than just. Um, uh, than just World War Two, you know, which is mm-hmm. more straightforward for us in, in in the UK. You know, it's a very clear who are the good guys. You know, it's us, hooray! Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, to, they looked at other conflicts as well. You know, there's the Vietnam story in there, unusually. Um, but yeah, and but like I say, Char- Charlie's War, stuck in the trenches, miserable, gritty, unbelievably realistic. Yeah. When did Charlie's War come out? I, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I've uh, I have I have written an article about uh, collecting Charlie's War actually um, a long time ago. Um, I think it uh, starts in the early nineteen eighties, um, but uh, but I'm going to try and look it up. So uh, I'll, I'll interrupt at some point when when I've got the answer. Okay. Uh, actually, I just looked it up uh, from January 1979 to October 1986. Okay, okay. Um, I, think, I think that's it. So yeah, okay. 
Because yeah. I want to ask something about, so in North America, we ran into a bit of a problem in the early 1950s, which Don actually mentioned earlier, you're probably familiar with this, where basically, thanks to um, a huge explosion of uh, crime comics and the horror comics, there was a huge moral panic in the United States, and of course this affected us too, where basically they had um, hearings to decide whether comics were a bad influence on children, and um, it also resulted in the Comics Code, which basically took comics, which had been kind of a general audience thing, and had all kinds of comics for you know for children and adults to basically reduce them to children's material pretty much for almost for at least a decade maybe two or three after that um did you have something similar happen in the uk uh yeah absolutely yep yep absolutely um there is a similar piece of legislation passed here in uh, 1956 or something um under which I don't think, don't think anybody has ever been prosecuted. Um, but you're right, you know, it's, it's the same idea. You know, it's aimed at the emasculation um, of the uh, comics industry. Um, that I mean, there is no equivalent of the Comics Code Authority created. There is just this piece of legislation that, um, you know, covers what you shouldn't do. Um, but, yeah, it's very similar. Um, as a... Uh, a couple of you know if people are interested in that sort of thing uh then there's a comic academic over here called martin barker um who's written a book on that uh and sort of looks at the you know how really is it a uh i think it's like a it's a sort of a moral panic about communism rather than comics specifically um but you know the it the panic or the sort of the battle is fought Right. through the medium of comics um but yeah you know there are there's an exhibition at the house of uh, parliament here uh and they you know put up you know these comics um some of which were um making their way um over uh here because i guess, I guess american comics started probably be, probably being uh imported um after the second world war because they, right. they they'd arrived in you know with the gis uh in the second world war uh and, and then you know apparently you know they get used comics got used as ballast a lot in shipping mm -hmm. um so yeah sort of a post uh, second world war comics uh, american comics start to arrive in dribs and drabs over here so yes yeah, so we're getting the same material you are um mm -hmm. and even going back to you know, that comic that i mentioned um eagle sort of started my interest in comics you know that is specifically created um as an sort of as an antidote to the horror comics you know that um the games uh and others were producing uh and has an approach which is based around a sort of a a, a muscular christianity i think they called mm -hmm. it um, so you know sort of you know tough heroes you know fighting the good fight but you know fighting it in the right way you know we're not mm -hmm. using you know we're not shooting people in this you know th there are guns but they're sort of stun guns or uh you know but a sort of a a bit of a stiff upper lip and a you know a firm right hook you know that sort of you know that solves the day no nobody's dead because of anything that that's happened uh but but the the heroes win and so, so eagle for instance would you know uh, cover real life uh, stories, you know, on the, on the back page. That's one of the things that was famous, uh, and they were often um, uh, religious um, heroes. So, uh, people who lived a tough life, trying to spread that message of 
uh, Christianity, um, or maybe they were explorers, um, um, and you know, and they ended up being people like you know, real people, like not that mm-hmm. you know, saints are not real people, but you know, you know uh, right. people yes. like well, Winston yes. Churchill, for instance, uh, you know, ended up on the back page, but you know, they started with uh, you know, real sort of. Uh, early Christians, um, you know, uh, preaching the word of God and, you know, and, and the right, tough life right. that they live because of that. Okay, well, Winston Churchill was definitely not a saint, but... Um, <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> different podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a whole different podcast, <laughs> true. Um, but so, but my question is really, to follow that up, is so then, since you also had the moral panic about, did that actually change society's perception of comics? Because here it literally turned comics into a kids medium like literally there were no comics that weren't for kids pretty much for like almost a decade or so except for underground ones after that moral panic like literally no one would dare because they were all scared of the comics code almost all don i'm sure can reference the very few that did but i guess my point is in the uk did that shift the public's perception overall of comic books to oh that's just crap for kids we don't need to worry about that yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no real sort of comics for adults here. You know, there's right. you know there's you know, so these publishers, you know, so that we talk about DC Thompson, Holton, and Fleetway. You know, are producing titles that you know even up until you know when the launch of 2000 AD happens and a comic like Action, which comes just before it in the mid 1970s, you know, mm-hmm. they are aimed, you know, at the most at sort of probably early teenage boys you know right. maybe let's say you know 12 13 something like that you know but but there isn't there isn't a market there isn't a there isn't a publication which is for 15 or 16 or 17 year old boys um you know there, there isn't anything for them to sort of go on to um right. a, lot, a lot of the comics that were being published you know there was a real sort of conveyor belt approach that they would take to get you to move you know they would sort start with what they would call nursery titles you know for um uh, kindergarten age children i suppose you'd think about it you know mm-hmm. and then you'd move on to those sort of humor titles uh and then you'd move on to more the adventure titles uh and, you know, and then you just and then it just stops you know there's nothing for you then to go on to to say okay well i'm a you know a 15 year old boy you know what comic should i be reading you know th- there's nothing for you to go to so you having got you on this conveyor belt you then get to about 12 13 14 and whoosh, you fall off the end of the conveyor belt right um, because there there is no sort of superhero diet law, you know, whatever it would be that would um, that you could go to that um, right, uh, yeah, that would, yeah, that, that that would fit for your age and your maturity. Well, how about like uh, com- how about like battle or the the war comics? Would those still be? Wouldn't those be for a slightly older audience, especially something like Charlie's War, which comes up? That's not for like fourteen year olds, is it? um so so i guess yeah so 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 battle you know that comes along um uh, uh, later on in that sort of mid so it starts in the mid 1970s and yeah and is that sort of that i suppose you know it's that tipping point away from you know the you know the the war is a sort of a fun topic into uh you know the war is a a serious topic Mm. um but again you know they're not being marketed um at um know 16 17 year olds you know this is still you know school-aged children you know are still that target market um and yeah there are some things in like i say within 
uh, within battle that, you know, when I read them now, I think, wow, you know, you are really, you know, you are really killing these, you know, um, people in a very graphic, very obvious uh, way. And it is, yeah, it does seem, you know, even when I read it now, I think, wow, this is, uh, it seems odd that, you know, nobody's sort of pulling you up on this and saying, hell, wait, 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 you know, who are you? You know, is this for 10-year-old boys? Um, I mean, there is no Comics Code Authority who might be looking right. at that sort of thing. So the, 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 the moral outrage and the panic has to sort of come uh, more specifically, you know, from the general public. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we get to something, so, so there's a comic um, action, um, mm-hmm. which you may have come across, so comes out in uh, 1976. Um, and that was probably, you know, the first comic, you know, since the sort of the Wortham era, you know, the sort of the mid 1950s, that did cause that moral panic um, and um, the seven penny nightmare was how one, <laughs> was how one national newspaper uh, described it. Um, that sounds and, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and um, so action, you know, so it starts in, I think, February 1976. And by uh, October 1976, uh, the the issue that was going to hit the newsstands um, has, has been withdrawn uh, and has been largely pulped. Um, I think it's the, you know, the, there was a sort of a, there was an outrage over it anyway. Uh, and I guess then when the publisher looked at, you know, that, that issue, this the 23rd of October 1976 issue, uh, and the word suicide is on the cover three times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, maybe wow. that was felt to have gone too far. Um but it's actually, I think it's the issue bef- before or the one before that, where there is a there's a there's a boy and he is uh, swinging um, uh, like a, uh, a a bicycle chain, you know, which you know it's a he- that's a heavy metal mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's like a policeman, it, and it looks like it's not, but it looks like there is a policeman sort of cowering with fear, uh, and this sort of yob, this youth figure, um, is going to you know attack this policeman uh with his bicycle chain so it's a real sort of anti-establishment you know punk sort of you know oi uh moment uh, uh yeah and it frightens the horses uh action is closed down for several weeks when it comes back it's been wholly emasculated you know some of the same strips are running but you know they are either finished off very quickly there are large chunks of what would have been in the strip just withdrawn or just redrawn uh and it becomes a very different beast and it runs for about a year uh a bit before it just you know people go well hang on this isn't why i was buying it you know these characters i like but not in the way you're now portraying them um so yeah i would recommend again uh, martin barker the academic we talked about um Mm -hmm. he he's written a whole book uh, uh on action and you know feature and in that he has access to some of the archive material that shows what would have been in um you know there's one particular strip uh called hook jaw mm-hmm. uh, which is a shark based strip uh, recently been revived by uh, 2000 ad uh so he's this great white shark and the sort of the hook he's called hook jaw because there is a a boat hook lodged in you know in his lower jaw that sort of sticks out um and, oh, and that is a particularly bloody and violent strip and you know there are ju- you know there are limbs everywhere. You know he just eats everybody. Um, you know he's he's trying to when I say he's trying to do the right thing. You know where 
<laughs> what I mean is, uh, you know, he, you know, you know, the, the, you know, his world is under attack. For instance, from you know, let's say, I, I think there's a strip with about people drilling for oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so man has come into his environment. You know, and and you know, they are in conflict. Um, and it's just about you know, this strip gets more and more violent around. You know, they try and um, yeah, uh, drill for oil and and uh, hook jaw uh, tries to fight back um but yeah you know there's one where sort of there's a there's a guy he's a um he's all dressed up in his scuba gear and he's like i'm just gonna swim into this cave this big dark <laughs> shape and it's like that's not a cave you know that's, that, that's you know some of the perspective on hook jaw is a bit you know it's a bit flaky you know he comes and goes but he's like oh hang on it's not a cave is it so no that's hook jaw's mouth you've swum into and, <laughs> exactly. uh, um, so yeah so really yeah so um and again you know but if you're the management of that company, you know, mm-hmm. they, they learn the lessons, you know, I think quite effectively from what got hooked or, you know, an, an action banned. Mm-hmm. And they translate that into 2000 AD, mm-hmm. which at the start, again, is, is super violent. You know, those sort of early Judge Dredd strips, you know, he just, you know, he is, the concept is, you know, he's, he is the law. He is the judge, jury and executioner. And he does a lot of executing. But mm-hmm. yet he's killing people in a way that, you know, in a comic six months before would have got you banned. But it's like. Ah, but he's he's killing people in a different way, and his comic isn't getting banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that happens in two ways. One, you push it into the future, so people don't think it's real. Oh, it's just sci-fi; it's not real. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if you shoot, you know, a modern-day policeman, it's very clear what's going on as a football hooligan shooting a policeman. You, you think I understand that? Whereas, if it's like in a sci-fi strip, somehow that's too complicated for people. Um, <laughs> and and you know, if and actually, the world that Dread is in, you know. The sort of the villains are are even worse than he is. So as long as you know he's, you know, they are really bad. You know he might be a bad person, but the villains are really bad. So he's still on the you know he's still on the right side of the, the law, because he's fighting people who are worse than him. So you know, right is still winning, even though, actually you know, many people you know would would look at him as like you know, uh, uh, as, a, as a fascist. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird to see that because you mentioned action. I actually really like action. I got a chance a few years ago to read some of them. Oh yeah, and it's 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 funny action uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it. The shtick of the 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 comic seemed to be you took something that was popular, and then you just amped up the violence to an insane degree. Okay, That's I'll, put, I'll right. put a link in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Because they did that yeah. with a few, there, the the one I remember there, what was it? Was it Dredger? Dredger. Yeah, yeah that was, it was kind of the, the tough guy American cop, except to a, a crazy, because I think he sh- like shoots a priest in the first issue or something. Yeah, yeah Dredger, yeah, he's, yeah, like you say, he's, a, he, he's the sort of the, he's like the sort of, well, he's not the Dirty Harry figure, because I guess, you know, Judge Dredd becomes Dirty Harry, but, you know, but he has, like, and there's like a sort of a stiff upper class, um, Upper class sort of English guy, sort of next to him, who's sort of the more in MI5. This is how we kill people, Dredger. Um, whereas Dredger is more sort of that working class, more more urban, uh, less urbane, um, and, <laughs> and just. But yeah, you're right. You know, they're just yeah, they're quite happy. You know, go around killing people. Uh, you know, so Hookjaw is eating people. Dredger is killing people. Um, you've got stories like um, I think it's called uh, Spinball. Which oh. is a bit like um, Rollerball, you know, a James Caan movie, but uh, you know, but on motorbikes, 
you know, uh-huh. uh, you know, and they are, you know, they're running into each other, they're running over each other, you know, bombs go off, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, T- take a concept, rebadge it slightly, you know, a popular concept, you know, again, this is a Pat Mills thing, you know, take those popular, you know, things that you know are popular, because you've seen, there's a whole movie about this, and it's a really popular movie, right? We'll mm-hmm. take that, we'll twist it slightly, give it a different title, no copyright problems, and it will work. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, and it worked very successfully for him. Yeah, because they did other things. Like, I find a lot of the, uh, the the British anthology comics, they'll follow a theme and then throw in something that doesn't. Because uh, mentioning action, there were, um, shoot, what were it? There were two stories that were straight-up dramas. There was the um, the one about the guy who had the, the football scholarship, but he gets hurt, and he, he gets his, his juvenile delinquent brother he realizes has the same potential. He coaches him into being an upstanding person. And then there was the one about the guy who got out of prison is just trying to like make a life. And they weren't really action stories so much as they were straight up dramas. And I've noticed a lot of the, the British comics will, will do that, that they'll throw in a story that doesn't seem to belong there. Is that like an attempt to see how the audience feels or is it sort of a random thing? Um, I mean, so- sometimes um you know it's a using up what's in the spares drawer um mm. and there are definitely so within you know if i think about this london publisher you know um fleetway or ipc um you know they had a whole department which was based around trying to come up with new comics all the time you know that was their whole thing um and um you know, and often those those comics, they you know they don't work. You know, you go to the focus group, it doesn't work. Okay, fine, we're not going to publish that. You know, because all the time you're trying to get this Venn diagram of what is the perfect comic for this audience. You know, this, um, but you know, you've still commissioned somebody to draw a three page strip. Somebody's written that three page strip. Somebody's drawn it. It's gone in your focus group thing. People, the kids don't like it. Fine, but actually, probably in your, you know, you didn't have one. You know, you had a number of strips that you've taken to that is it's going to be a success um so sometimes you know that that, that material has to be used because you paid for it you know the right. publishers are well you paid for it i want to see it used you know so sometimes you know they sort of they can uh, they more often sort of pop up in sort of you know annuals or the sort of summer specials that would be produced as a sort of one-off piece of material um because you you've got to use it um but yeah i guess you know it's that um it's that anthology and having to have eight or nine good strips you know, especially for something like action um, yeah. or 2000 AD, because they were, you know, they were they were wholly new. Therefore, you had to have eight or nine great strips from the word go. You know, and just you know that isn't you know you just you can't organise that many great strips uh, from the word go. So there's definitely an element of you know you can get a number of really good strips in there, but then there's an element of look, I just need to give this to the writer, and we just need something. And then you see how that plays out in the sort of the popularity charts. Um, I think in is it uh, action? There's a one about a submarine. Uh, I can't oh, yeah. remember the name. Um, which again, you know, it's like hang on, that's not like a super violent submarine comic. I don't know how you would do a super violent submarine comic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's like okay, look, you know, we wanted something, so let you know, let's put that in there, and then you know, it becomes really clear really quickly you know which are the really popular ones and which are not popular so it's like okay fine you know we just you know we get that out um there's yeah what were those other ones uh was was that the the coffin sub 
the coffin sub. Yes, that yeah. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, and there were other ones. There was there was blackjack, wasn't there? That was the other one. Yep. He's like a the he's boxer. The boxer. But uh, but the thing is, he's going blind. Mm. Uh, so you know you've got to you got to get him into enough. You know, obviously. You know, we're not worried about head trauma or you know PTSD or anything for him. Like, we're going to get him through enough boxing matches before he actually, you know, he has to. Even you know, British comics writers can't spin that out for too long. You know, right. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to have a lot of flashbacks with him if you don't want this story to end. So uh, yeah, so uh, uh, he he has to go blind. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, they ran a, a, a number of, um, uh, of you know of uh, of very violent strips, uh, and then you know other ones that. Oh yeah, it was it was Death Game nineteen ninety nine, not not um, Spinball. It was it got revived a bit in two thousand AD at one point, and they all have it's the same idea, you know, sort of rollerball but on very fast motorcycles, you know, or jetpacks, you know, it's just a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, like I say, but it it didn't work. But the publishers took the lessons from it, applied them to a different comic. Uh, and that was in 1977, and 2000 AD is still being published now. So that's yeah. 43 years later, and that's just up to issue 2200 at the moment. Technically, they they, published, they applied it to two different comics because they applied it to Star Lord as well, didn't they? So yeah, so Star Lord, so Star Lord is an interesting one. Um, so 2000 AD had launched, uh, and it was on. I mean, the paper quality, you know, what it's on, you know, is like, you know, it's like toilet paper, really. I mean, it's mm. just really like the cheapest, cheapest, nastiest newsprint. Um, but, you know, the light, late 1970s, you know, you've got a real sci-fi boom going on. Um, mm-hmm. and, Star Wars just came out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're trying to sort of cash in a bit on that with, with Star-Lord, um, you know, which was supposed to be this sort of, you know, much grander, almost more, more European sort of, actually, you know, monthly, uh, you know, glossy paper, uh, you know, more more colour, uh, you know, really, really quite different from a normal, real sort of cheap looking issue of 2000 AD with minimum colour. Um, but, you know, as it got closer to the publication date, suddenly everybody got a bit nervous about, oh, monthly or monthly comics. Who, who's ever made a success out of monthly comics? You know, it's, <laughs> it's madness. It can't work. Um, tell you what, you know, I think it so either they start monthly and it gets to weekly quite quickly, or it starts at fortnightly and it gets to weekly, but really near the deadline of when they're actually going to launch the thing. So suddenly, you know, you sort of thought, oh, I've got material to keep me going for six months. That's good. Suddenly you've got, ah, oh, I've only got three months worth of material. Uh, and uh, yeah, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's unsustainable and it, it merges into 2000 AD, but then 2000 AD gains uh, two of the strips um that would run very successfully in there for years and years with um strontium dog which we mentioned earlier uh, another strip um a sort of a robot based strip um uh, uh row jaws and hammerstein are the lead characters in it called the uh the abc warriors it took me but when it was in Star-Lord, it wasn't, sorry when Star-Lord, it wasn't abc warriors though they were some kind of robot rescue team weren't they yeah they were um, Robusters, they were, isn't it? Robusters, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, but it, they're they're all within the same universe and they're all linked to each other, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Robusters, um, yes. I know it did take me a very long time to realise that calling them Rojaws and Hammerstein uh, was a play uh, on the um, oh. musicals creators uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein. I never got that, but you're right; they are, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. So, okay. So, so in a lot of ways, then, it seems like the line that basically follows, like, 2000 AD and Star Wars, this action, this is almost your equivalent to Marvel Comics in a lot of ways. Like, it, it, it's the, this is kind of, this becomes, in my right in interpreting, I should say, that this basically becomes, like, for the especially the late 70s, definitely the 80s, this is, like, the required reading for boys of uh, that time. Like, every, all the boys are reading this, maybe some of the girls, too, and it's just become, it just becomes very popular common culture. Is that right to say about 2000 AD and the action and such? Um, so, yeah, so for, for 2000 AD, I mean, I guess it it never produces very many, it never doesn't produce spin-off comics in the way that you know if i think about a you know a successful american comic i would right. think that oh you know you immediately then you know have a different you know i don't know you know a different slightly different view of in one comic you have the main spider-man comic but then you have you know like a, a selection of other spider-man comics you know right. because they need, you know it doesn't really you know it just has that that one comic um mm -hmm. apart from the judge red magazine um but you know you're just you're going through content at such a rate you know because it's weekly um you know they're, they're quite long strips in their sort of five or six pages um so you have stories that sort of come and go from it um you know because you as an as the artist you can't produce five or six pages a week you know is um you so you have to sort of be on a strip for you know six months to try and you know get it produced and then it has to have a rest and then you start again with another strip which again because it's an anthology strip you know you you probably you know you you, you go with that as an idea um, because you're used to comics um, strips coming and going from your from your right. favorite comic, um, but yeah, Judge Dredd, you know, as a character, uh, you know, he's been in those movies, you know, um, and is you know, popular enough. You know, popular is maybe the wrong word, but you know, recognized character within you know popular culture. That if you talked about, you know, if a story ran a strip about, or if a newspaper ran a story about sort of somebody, you know, uh, toughening up on law and order. You know, they're going to mention Robocop or Judge Dredd. You know, those are right. you know, people yeah. will understand what the story is about, you know, uh, when, when they see those phrases. Right. Well, then, is there a rough equivalent to, like, if 2000 AD wasn't the must-read, you know, premier comic of the day, what was then? Um, I w well, you know, by, by the time, you know, you get to this point, you know, the sort of the mid-80s, you know, the actual number of uh you know there was still you know and 80s comics you know and boys comics you know is, is really what i'm interested in um mm -hmm. and uh you know 2000 ad you know is the most um uh, uh successful probably the most popular um but it's still not you know it's not selling you know millions of copies you know uh, uh a month or anything so it's still yeah i mean he's it's got as big as it can do and that you know i guess okay. some of the creators who were involved in working on it you know is then frustrating because there is there is nothing for them to go on to you know mm -hmm. in in this country you know one, once you know if you get down to the sort of you know there were you know a, a number of comics running through the 1980s but you know if you were already you know doing a high profile title at um 2000 ad you know there was nowhere else for you to go after that so uh, you know okay. so people will then go to then go work for us comics you know you know alan moore has mm -hmm. to get headhunted from somewhere before he works on swamp thing uh well what's he yeah. doing before he works on swamp thing okay you know he's writing comics um for uh 2000 ad right. but yeah that's you know that, that's where people go to write sort of 
adult comics and inverted commas. Um, I don't mean mm-hmm. like for penthouse i mean uh, yeah comics, more mature but, <laughs> comics right yeah <laughs> yeah more mature you know for those you know for more mature readers if you like you know where are those comics they, they don't exist here you know they, they have to go to north america uh to, to write those that that makes sense so ironically enough north america ends up being the comic big leagues basically where you go once you're mm-hmm. once you made your place in the uk okay yeah 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 um and it, I guess the same is true of, of artists as well. And I guess yeah. now maybe, you know, there are artists who, who would work for 2000 AD. And when they're not working for 2000 AD, actually, they're not working for North American comics. They're probably working on films these days. You know, once upon a time, mm-hmm. people, you know, would have said, OK, I'm going to go work for DC and Marvel now. You know, and that's where they, they would have carried on being a comics artist, but just, you know, for North American comics. But actually now, you know, they're probably, you know, a storyboard artist, uh, you know, on a film for three months. And they come back to a bit of uh, 2008, oh, back on another film. Um, yeah. So they're sort of, they're, they're, they're mixing it up. So they're always drawing. They're mm-hmm. just not always drawing comics anymore. Because hmm. there's uh, two things that British comics did that here in North America we never managed to to pull off. And I'm wondering, because this ties in with that idea of the position where something like, say, 2000 AD uh, took up with with the the general public and the audience, was that Britain did an amazing number of sports and girls' comics. And here in North America, neither of those ever took off. And I'm wondering, what was it in Britain that let those kind of uh, books get a foothold? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you asked me about this, and I had to go away and think about it. And I was mainly thinking, why didn't they get a foothold in America? You know, as a sort of, <laughs> or in North America. You know, there's a. Um, well, I guess um, there's, you know, as we've touched on the that ability to run lots of, di- you know, because it's an anthology title. You know, you can have a title so like uh, so Tiger. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a title that came out in the 1950s, and that has Roy the Rovers. Um, illustrated by this guy, uh, Joe Calhoun, who would go on 30 years later to illustrate uh, Charlie's War. You, know, you can have that as the as the title, and you get that, you know, you've got that weekly feedback, you know, going on, and you can say, oh, actually, this is quite a popular strip. So, okay, let's have a, you know, you can change the mix within that anthology title to say, okay, what about if we get rid of one more, more adventure strip and put one more football strip in? Oh, yeah, people still like it. Okay, you know, so you just... You, you know, you, you can keep going down that, that path. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, uh, sports are popular, uh, you know, with, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boys here, although I'm sure they're popular in the in North America as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's just that, that anthology nature and the weekly nature means that, you know, you can, you can, you can really experiment. You know, you can try right. a different thing, you know, very quickly. And if it doesn't work, you know, you haven't really lost very much, but if it does work, you're like, oh, okay, you know, we'll we'll, we'll keep going. Um, but yeah, some of those, you know, I find the the football strips, which I know least about, you know, hard to, um, you know, when I'm sort of reading a collection of them, I think it would be hard to remember, you know, if I was trying to think back to, oh, what happened in that, you know, in that game 30 years ago? Because they all, all the football teams have slightly different names to popular football teams because you can't use them for, you know. For, right. They're, they're all sort of, in theory, they're all playing in the same league as the big popular teams, but obviously you can't use those. So uh, they end up, you know, playing team against teams and it's, you know, it's hard to remember, you know, which, what, what happened in which year because they're all, you know, 
in some ways, you know, they're, they're just football games uh, or soccer mm-hmm. games, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, that helps. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, with the girls strips, uh, you know, there are some that, you know, are probably are still, you know, so an imprint like uh, the Treasury of British Comics, which is owned by Rebellion, who are the current owners of 2000 AD and a big, um, and the copyright owners of a lot of, uh, vintage British comic material, you know, that they're still putting, they're putting out collections um, to do with a, a 70s uh, girls comic called uh, Misty. Oh, yeah. That one I mean, well, you know, which is, which is well remembered, uh, you know, as a sort of, because of a supernatural horror sort of uh, comics for girls, uh, because often, you know, the girls comics, you know, are all about, you know, they're not about the adventure, they're about the emotion and about the struggle that these poor girls you know have in in all sorts of different you know environments you know uh you know at school at home you know and the more you know the more terrible and tragic you know these girls are and you know weirdly they were they were more popular you know the girls you know they 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 love them oh you know i was sort of i mean i haven't read it you know but there is a strip called slaves of war orphan farm jesus okay i think that's a pat mills strip um so, you know, you know, the real sort of, you know, heroes or heroines, heroines, I guess, mainly, you yeah, know, that yeah. really, you know, you know, had a, you know, a physical, uh, you know, impairment or, or impediment um, to them or, you know, wicked aunts or stepmothers or, you know, a terrible life at school. Uh, you know, it's, you know, they're really, really you know, when I, you know, on the occasion I read them, I think, oh, wow, these are really miserable, but. They were really popular that was what they wanted they didn't want you know the sort of the nice fluffy sort of things it was about that you know that struggle and about the journey to sort of get there yeah. to and to overcome adversity you know that that was really what um, what sold them um but they weren't always like that you know girls comics again are, are really established uh, post second world war the baby boomers uh and there are titles um that you know that uh, very successfully you know um ran for a long time you know mandy judy bunty i mean bunty ran for you know uh ran from 1951 to 2001 you know so 50 mm. years you know it's got to be doing something right um mm. yeah. uh and i think there's a and, and that but that material isn't getting reprinted um at the moment yeah. i mean there's yeah. treasure bridge comics you know they've got uh, you know i couldn't even think how many millions of pages of <laughs> you know material <laughs> that you know they have they have to look at um and definitely the material they're looking at reprinting is largely to do with those titles that are probably that are either proto 2000 ad stories mm-hmm. you know right. so there is a clear line from this story to 2000 ad you know because they recognize that there is a you know a market for people who are who like you know those creators um who worked on 2000 ad well what did they do you know you didn't just invent Judge Dredd one day. Actually, there were probably some precursors to Judge Dredd. So, okay, there's this, there's this cop character called One-Eyed Jack. Oh, okay, so how does he fit? You know, he's written by the same guy who would go on to write Judge Dredd, uh, but he's sort of like a tough New York cop. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's an element of reprinting material that appeals to those people who, you know, who like that, you know, the 2000 AD material without it actually being 2000 AD um material or material that's you know quite you know um let's say violent um let's say from from titles like battle um um and so yeah so they're putting out a lot of uh, vintage material um 
uh, at the moment, you know, which is great for me. You know, it's the sort of stuff I love. So it's a great opportunity to catch up with those stories that, you know, that would be hard to collect otherwise, because else, you know, you, you know, I have, um, I live in a house and the spare bedroom, you know, is my, as we euphemistically call it, study. Uh, <laughs> but, but, it, but it's basically comics. Um, and, you know, they are, you know, quite heavy uh, comics after a while. You know, yes, you, don't need to stack too many them, you know, you don't need to stack too many of them up on top of each other until you've got, you know, a very heavy. And it's actually, you know, if you wanted 43 years of 2000 AD, not only is that, you know, that's whatever that is, you know, 2000 issues. OK, but if it's 32, if it's 32 pages a week or whatever Ooh. it is. Oh, it's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that, that's a lot of weight. How, how does your downstairs neighbor feel? Or, or are you? <laughs> yeah, it's a semi-detached so we're okay but uh <laughs> that floor must wife. be uh, kind of creaking a little bit these days yeah um, yeah definitely it's one of my lockdown projects was to you know but get some get some new shelves in rearrange everything you know very self-indulgent but you know time well spent but there are definitely some shelves i put up the other day you know and i filled them up with my sort of 2000 ad and other things and my wife came in and immediately went all those shelves are boeing and it's like well they're only boeing a little bit but you're right <laughs> They they are you know they're full and they're full of paper uh, and actually yeah you know forty years of two thousand AD would take up too much space you know mm -hmm. uh, so actually you know a collection of just the strips I'm interested in uh, is great right, but the yes. other thing I guess that the that the, um, the, the Treasure British Comics imprint is doing is is reprinting some of that material from the newsstand so not just for bookshops and comic shops and and those sort of you know what the material you can buy in news agents is uh is taking classic characters and using current writers and artists to to tell that story oh so, yeah so so it's new material with old characters um and what's happened this year is that they so i think they've owned sort of this big archive for about three years and th and this year they've sort of put out about one sort of special you know one particular sort of issue a month so that if you're the news agent i guess you know you can just you get that thing in for a month then you get another thing in for a month rather than having a you get a comic in for a month and then you have two months off and then you get another one and you think i don't really know where i put the comics where do the comics go because there aren't many comics right. um, so it's something very different each month which is either seasonal or you know or you know uh, uh, lines up with a holiday you know like a, a halloween or something um so it's yeah it's old characters but with new creators um so it's not just the archive reprinting archive material. It's about trying to use the creators they you know they already have and they already know through their work on 2000 AD, for instance. Um, but to do you know, but to you know, there's only so much material in 2000 AD, you know, every week. There's only whatever it is, 32 pages. So actually, you know, if you want to have you know people doing other things, you know, you've got to find other stuff for them to do. They can't all work on the Judge Dredd magazine. So actually, okay, this is a way to get more British creators more work and you try and get it on the newsstands so that people you know they see it and they buy it who are not not just fans of the original material but people who would go in and say mom i want a comic oh there we go look there's a you know it doesn't matter to you know the purchaser maybe if that core and buster summer special is actually referencing characters from 30 years ago it's mm. right now i need a funny comic to keep my kid quiet for half an hour <laughs> but it's got to be on the shelf in the first place for you to buy it yeah. right right yeah um, actually, just to go back to what you were saying earlier, just for a quick second, about uh, why 
you said that there are romance and maybe sports comics or girls comics, I shouldn't say just romance, girls comics and sports comics took off in the UK and you said you thought that might be because of the weekly. There's an interesting thing to support that, which is that the only other major comics market that also publishes anthologies, that would be Japan, um, is also the only other market where girls comics and sports comics took off. So I think you might be onto something there, Richard. Yeah. Uh, I think you just, you just had the capacity. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Something I, I I'd like to know more about, but I don't know how to find it out. But I have a a, a friend who is a sort of a, a comics editor and um, has an amazing website called Down the Tubes uh, for all your British comics news needs. Um, and his theory is that if you are a publisher and you own press, you know, you own the presses through which you put this material. Once mm. you own a press. Actually, you know, you want to keep those presses turning 24 hours a day, because if you if they're not working, then you know, then you've wasted money, and there are people standing around with nothing to do. And actually, once you own the presses, therefore you you will sort of publish anything, because you just you know you've already bought the paper, you've already got the people standing around, you've got the ink, you know, you just have to publish stuff. And when you stop owning the presses, then you go, then you you step back and you take a different view, and you think, oh, well, actually, I'm going to take a more maybe more of, you know. Uh, a businessy sort of decision to say, actually, I don't want to publish that comic. I don't want to publish that comic. And your sort of your horizons narrow, and you want to only publish successful comics. Whereas right. when you the printing presses, you just want to publish comics, and you just want to just keep them running twenty four seven. So, I, you know, I, 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 you know, there's a lot to me that in, appeals about that theory, but I don't know how to prove it. Hmm. Buy a press. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's kind of interesting. Rob sort of accidentally hit on, I think, one of the things that held back the, the girls' comics in North America is that in North America, they were all romance comics. And the heaviest thing would be, why won't Billy ask me to the prom? Whereas the British ones, to call them bleak is like an understatement because they're <laughs> just... The, the the main characters in all of those, and in, in, in any of the ones I've seen, were just tortured relentlessly by like friends and family and authority and they'd be like locked in the basement and her stepdad would slap them around because we got misty here and i remember reading them and it was a horror story and i'm like oh man these are like creepy and then i'd read something like uh i think it was tammy we got a few of them here and okay. i'd read them and go these are no different from the misty story except it's not like your aunt possessed by a demon it's just your aunt's evil <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, Tammy, you know, it's the real sort of, you know, that's uh, uh, so I think you know Pat, Pat Mills works on that, you know, that's his sort of, you know, that, that's where he comes in, uh, you know. But I think, but before that, you know, with titles probably like School Friend and Girls Crystal and Girl, you know, which are more, you know, longer established, you know, they start in the nineteen fifties. Um, so, but yeah, you, sort of Tammy, uh, you know, yeah, Pat Mills gets his gets his mitts into that you know and that's where he starts and, and then he is he starts to you know turn the ship around you know he says oh, i, I want to go this way with the with the comics you know which are you know more you know which, which end up in a very different way you know with 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 misty um and, and they are you know bleak and they are less you know jolly hockey sticks uh mm -hmm. and um but yeah but then there's a you know there's a point at which then you know all those comics you know have, have died out and they haven't been replaced by you know by another wave of girls comics whether you know they're in a bleak way or in a happy way um mm -hmm. you know they're just in terms of wholly new comics coming along you know that doesn't happen very much anymore 
maybe it's to do with printing presses. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, definitely those sort of seventies girls comics. You know, they're you know that's where they really you know um, are, are are really bleak and they and they really go for it. Yeah, there was one that I read called. There was a comic called June that I read some of, and there was a story in there called Glenda, Good and Bad, which is basically about this girl whose best friend is basically has a split personality. And Glenda, as you can guess, one of them is basically a serial killer. That would be it. And one of them is like, and one of them is just like her kind best friend. And so the serial killer is constantly like trying to fuck her up. And sorry, excuse my language, but but is constantly messing with her and trying to destroy her life and absolutely <laughs> evil. And then whenever, but whenever she's confronted, the good one kicks it. So oh no, I'm innocent and I have no idea. And it's just it's just horrible. Just horrible stuff. Um, entertaining, yes, but but absolutely like really so awful. But anyway, I did want to ask you, this name Pat Mills has come up so many times during this conversation. Is he like one of the major figures in British comics? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, he's still around. He's still producing comics. Uh, he's um, you know he's recently put out his sort of his own comic. You know, sort of a print on demand thing uh, that you can that you can get. Um, uh, you know, probably from Amazon, uh, which is called Space Warp, um, and uh, so yeah, so so uh, Pat um, was a sort of uh, editor, um, or sort of the see what, what he really what he's really good at um, is being an ideas guy. You know, he really gets a thing and sets it off, sets the ball rolling, and then hands it over to somebody to actually run on a more okay, you know, this week we got to get this out the door by Friday at five o'clock. Where are my scripts? Where's the art? You know, chasing everybody up. You know, he's more a get it going and then somebody else can actually do that sort of that that day-by-day -day thing. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so Pat has, you know, he's, he's um, uh, created comics. He's worked on comics, you know, um, uh, uh, Tammy uh, and uh, Action, 2008 D, you know, he so writes uh, prolifically, uh, for 2000 AD, you know, for uh, very popular characters. So yeah, you know, he's you know he's really sort of the 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 godfather um, of, of British comics. Um, and yeah, you know, he's, he's an interesting character. You know, he's always got something to say. You know, he can be quite outspoken. Um, you know, I think probably to an extent he's you know, bitten the hand that feeds him a bit too much. Probably with 2000 AD uh, and their treatment of uh, of creators um mm -hmm. but you know he's in a position where he's like i you know i can you know he can say it now um right and, i mean yeah interestingly you know he's gone down this sort of the self-publishing route as a way to get material out there in terms of you know either books that he's written recently mm -hmm. uh this comic um uh, space swap that he's put together with other sort of i suppose what we'd call in the uk sort of small press creators so mm -hmm. comic you know, comic artists and writers who aren't employed by ma major publishers but actually, you know, there aren't very many major publishers these days. So, you know, everybody's a small press creator. Um, mm. So, yes, yeah, so, you know, it's an interesting sort of swerve is that the sort of the ability for anyone to produce a comic these days, you know, those sort of barriers to entry, you know, have never been lower in terms of, you know, you can get really high quality printing done really easily. You can get print on demand, you know, you can put your comic up on Amazon on print on demand, you know, and, and they'll ship it, you know, wherever you want. Um so, yeah, you know, he sort of embraced that as a, you know, sort of working for the man, as it were. You know, this is his way of, no, you know, I can control what I produce, when I produce it, where right. it goes to. Uh, and I don't need a whole corporate, enter you know, enterprise around me to do that. You know, I can do it myself. Um, mm -hmm. 
Wow, okay. So actually, he occupies much the same space as Stan Lee did anyway in North American comics, it sounds like. Yeah, 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 I would agree with that. Yeah, the idea man who gets everything started and gets things going and wrangled things, and he was largely responsible for, Mar of course, Marvel Comics and making all that work. So, although, you know, Stanley, of course, was older, he started back in the, back in the 40s, and, um, and of course, it passed away a year or so ago, but, yeah, okay. It sounds like, he, uh, although it sounds like the one difference between them, though, I'd argue, is that Stanley, let's just say, wrote a lot on the, the, the people he helped, uh, like, helped find and encourage or worked with him, um, he tended to kind of ride on their success, rather than being a great creator himself quite as much. Whereas um, Pat Mills, it sounds like, is actually a real creator. He actually is someone who really writes stories and likes telling stories and getting involved, it sounds like. And it sounds like a fascinating figure, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean so Pat Mills, I mean, he, I mean, he creates Battle, uh, along with John Wagner, creates Action, Misty, 2000 AD. But like you say, he also you know, has created characters as well. Um, characters like um, Martial Law, um, is a story that's uh, very popular in France called Requiem Vampire Night um, that he does. Um, so, yeah, you know, no, he, he, he creates, as, as well as getting the ball rolling, uh, you know, and getting a, a title out there, you know, he was also, yeah, like I say, creating characters uh, and, you know, and, and writing those characters, you know, for, you know, for, for a long time. Um, and definitely fan for him, you know, uh, Charlie's War, you know, he's the writer. Mm -hmm. On Charlie's War, you know, oh, and he yeah. and he always puts that up there as his, you know, this is his, you know, the, you know, the best thing that he ever worked on. Right, right. Wow. Okay. So basically, almost not everything, but the most, a lot of stuff that's really worth reading in UK comics is connected to Pat Mills in one way or another. Sounds yeah. Like. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Check it. I mean, he's on Twitter. Uh, you know, at Pat Mills Comics, I think it is. Uh, so yeah, you know, check him out. Okay, we'll definitely put a link to his work and some things about him in the show notes. Yeah, because I'm wondering too. Um, you mentioned how the the small press thing is kind of how it's done nowadays. It seemed like when you got to the end of the '80s it, for British comics, there was kind of a an a, an uptick in what we would what we'd call here like the independent publishers because cause there was a lot of stuff oh, the one we were getting here was a deadline oh yeah deadline yeah yeah and, um, and there, there seemed to be a lot of that kind of like uh new wave punk kind of stuff coming out from a small press was that like a big deal and is that something that had effects like down the line or did was that sort of a short-lived thing um so i guess so so there's probably um so Deadline, and there were probably in that sort of early nineties. Um, there were, you know, that that was a sort of moment where it was trying to create uh, a sort of a comics environment that was for those those older those older kids, those those adults that mm -hmm. you know that was definitely you know had been identified as bit you know was not available. You know, there was nowhere for the, those readers to go. They were falling off the end of the conveyor belt, and you know that was. Um, uh, somebody like uh, so Steve McManus, who'd been a 2000 AD uh, editor, you know, he'd been Tharg, you know, he would say Borag Thung Earthlets. Um, <laughs> um, 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 what you know was, you know, that was one of the reasons why the Judge Dread magazine would have been created, um, was, was to try and you know give those people, you know, those readers somewhere to go, 
Um, so, so deadline, crisis, revolver, uh, toxic. Um, again, we're all trying to sort of scratch that itch, um, and were created by you know had a number of uh, creators and titles involved in them that are probably you know a mixture of you know mainly forgotten, but uh, you know within deadline, for instance, you know uh, so Tank Girl um, mm -hmm. is you know was the lead strip in that, and you know. Not that this justifies it, you know, but they made a movie of it. So, you know, people may have seen it, you know, but it was a long time ago they made that movie. Um, mm -hmm. And the artists involved in that, like, you know, is created by um, you know, Brett Ewins, Brendan McCarthy, uh, Pete, Peter Milligan, uh, and Steve Dillon works on it, you know, and Steve Dillon would, you know, becomes more famous, um, you know, later on for his, his work on uh, Preacher. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so Deadline, uh, Crisis Revolver, you know, they... For a while, they, they, you know, they flourished, I guess, as a sort of a mix, you know, in the music business as well as the, the comics business. Um, and so Deadline, I think, starts in 1988 and runs until the mid 90s, till about 1995, I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, you know, but they, you know, they, 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 they fall away uh, and they've never really been sort of re replaced um, um, right. Right. until, until, you know, you know, occasionally, you know, there are sort of comics for adults. Um, uh, in in on the newsstand, there was a title in sort of the early twenty tens uh, that was called Clint, um, which is named because it's one of the two words you are you were never allowed to use um, uh, in comics. Um, uh, so Clint and Flick are the two words you you can't use because you can't trust that that printing technology not to get the L and the I just a little bit too close to each other. Um, so, you know, so, so Mark Miller produces uh, Clint um, uh, and that lasts for, it was a couple of volumes in that round, but even that, you know, that wasn't, I think the volume one was 15 issues. Volume two was uh, about eight issues. So, you know, even if, you know, monthly, you know, that's probably a couple of years worth. Um, there's just, as a new, uh, magazine just come out just now this month is the first month it's come out uh called shift um mm -hmm. and again you know but you know it's really has come out from almost nothing you know it's not put out by a big publisher but it's got newsstand distribution um so there are occasional efforts to sort of um to produce that sort of that comic that isn't for kids um mm -hmm. and you know once again it's come i think it comes back to that venn diagram of once you either get, you know, one fantastic lead character. So Tank Girl was a fantastic lead character for Deadline. You know, Judge Dredd was a fantastic lead character for 2008. You know, either you need that one fantastic character that people really buy into and they really get, and therefore they'll buy the magazine on the back of that. Mm. Or you need your Venn diagram of everything else has to be pretty good that you think actually there are six or seven strips in here I really like. Um, because I think if you're an adult walking into a newsagent, you know, you are unlikely to spontaneously pick up a comic and think i bet there are six or seven really good strips in here you know you, you probably need that headline character to draw you in yeah because a lot of the um a lot of the the ones that aimed at an older audience i can remember from the 80s and the 90s they were all really really political and was that kind of the running theme for that or yeah i guess you know there's that sort of you know is that uh so something like um uh, revolver um runs uh, so the main story in Revolver uh, is a uh, is written by Grant Morrison, um, 
who's a well-known comics writer, I'm sure, um, and drawn by an artist called Ryan Hughes, and is an ad and is their take on on the on the Dan Dare story. So Dan Dare, you know, 1950s, is this sort of stiff upper lip, sort of Royal Air Force sort of pilot, but in space, you know, with bad guys, uh, you know, and it's a sort of high, you know, the the quality of the artists involved mean that it's a real still a real high watermark of what you can do two pages a week you know, the, the art is fantastic um but morrison and hughes take it uh, and they reinvent it and they present a, you know a britain which is ruled over uh by well, she's not called margaret thatcher but she, <laughs> but she looks you know who was still who was the prime Prime Minister in 1990, but this you know this character you know who isn't called Margaret Thatcher looks a lot, an awful lot like her, uh, and sort of tells the story of this real run-down, bleak, desolate Britain uh, that that's become corrupt uh, and enthralled um, and enslaved ultimately uh, to the the sort of the the bad guy in the in the story who is this character called the Mekon. Um, so yeah, you know, it's super political. Um, you've got within crisis um you've got a strip like third world war which yeah. again is one of pat mills's works uh and you know uh, and is sort of set in a you know in a future where you know there are sort of the, the mega corporations who you know provide everything and you know start wars and fight wars and you know and food poverty you know is, is a is a thing and they're trying to you know and they uh, struggle and suffer with it so yeah you know certainly that sort of you know what what do you want your your nascent readers to get into if they're just getting to that sort of i'm 17 i'm 18 i'm starting to get political and think politically about you know how i want the world to look you know here are some comments that maybe try and reflect how you think uh about about the world hmm. or i just have loads of good stuff about bands in um <laughs> <laughs> which is the alternative route to go down you know but you need something to you know to get those people in uh you know they tried it a little bit you know in the 50s there were magazines like uh top spot and uh, revel a came a bit later and you know they top spot was a sort of a it didn't it wasn't like a newspaper you know you know it was probably sort of a3 size and ran you know um reasonably sort of grown up uh, comic strips alongside photos of lovely ladies, let's say. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not the, the first time that sort of thing has been tried. You know, you need something to get them in. If that's politics or it's music or it's scantily clad women, uh, you know, you, you you need something to, to, to pull these people into or you need an amazing character. Right. Because some of that, um, the, the, the kind of stuff from the 90s, especially the, the political and the bleakness, I've noticed this come back into the more mainstream stuff, like the the current two thousand AD stories. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you know, uh, you know, Bleak has been here for a long time. As, a, <laughs> as a, you know, for you know, I don't know, you know, it seems a shame to keep. You know, I don't think you can blame it on you know on the Dark Knight Returns forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I, but I think people will, and it's. You know, I don't know. Maybe that you know the American Venn diagram. You know, takes longer to shift the dials on it to go. Actually, you know, do people want you know a happy, smiley Batman, or do they want a sort of a, a down and dirty Batman? And you know, I suppose you have to be careful. You give people what they want. It just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you know the people who buy it want a more and more violent, you know, Batman. So it's like okay, it just becomes more and more violent, and you're appealing to that 
you know, your audience, you know, you're, are you appealing to the fans or are you appealing to readers? Yeah. You know, they can be quite different things. And again, to come back to Pat Mills, you know, he would talk about when you stop appealing to readers and you start appealing to fans, you know, that, that, that's when you're on a slippery slope because actually, you know, most readers, you know, are not fans, they're not fanboys, they're not writing in every week to say what you're doing wrong. But they are, you know, they are the 90% who are giving you their money every week. And actually, you've got to try and keep them happy. Um, so it's a difficult um, thing to balance out. But, um, yeah. So Pat Mills definitely balanced it. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that's the, a good way of looking at it. Because that's kind of the problem that, like, North American comics have is that they're appealing to the old, like, old school long-term fans but they're not bringing new readers in. So as the old fans get old and die, there's nobody to replace them. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's the, so we go back to the sort of the treasure of British comics and they're sort of, you know, purchased this huge sort of archive of, of material. So there's one part of that, which is producing archive material, you know, of which there are a lot of volumes. Uh, you know, I have plenty on my shelf here, you know, that I like, and I will put plenty on my Christmas list uh, that I would like. Um, so, you know, they're scratching that itch in that way. And then the other way they're trying to do it because they're not, you know, they're not publishing nursery titles. They're not publishing humor titles. You know, they, they don't have a big stable of comics. You know, they produce 2000 AD. They produce Judge Dredd, the magazine. But what they really do is they produce video games. They're a video game company. They just oh, sort of yeah. own this on the side. So the actual trying to get something, you know, in a like a like a special on the newsstand every month with characters that are either, you know, wholly reprinted or ideally new you know old characters but with new artists and new writers in you know is the only way in um that i think you know that they can have but yeah you know if you're a seven-year-old boy you know how do you sort of think i want to read 2000 ad you know what 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 have you stopped reading that you want to start reading 2000 ad actually maybe if you're seven you're not going to read 2000 ad because it's you know it's now actually aimed at you know 12 or 13 or 14 year olds um, who, you know, have more access to uh, uh, to it or, you know, via, via the internet or whatever to to discover it because, yeah, there's nothing, there's no way for them to sort of organically discover it. Yeah, that, that ties into another odd thing I've always wondered is uh, one of the things that kind of killed the North American comic industry was we developed a network of comic shops and the, the book's came off of the newsstand, went to these shops, and then once nobody knew was coming into the shops, it contracted the industry. And I know um, in Britain you had Forbidden Planet, but was, yeah. that, was that the only comic shop, or did you have a time where there were a lot of comic specialty stores in, uh, in Britain? Um, so, so uh, yeah, I guess it's sort of similar here. I guess the issue we would have had, or that's... Uh, for news agencies around uh, what we call sale or return, um, you know, where once upon a time you would have said, you know, the news agent could basically say, I want 50 comics and mm. they would be sent to him. And then if he sells 50, great. If he sells five, he sends the other 45 back. Mm. So he, he cannot lose money because he's going to sell them or he's going to send them back. You know, that's it. Sale or return. Uh, and so when you do that, you know, encourages you to order big, because then, you know, if you've got them in stock, then you can sell them. Uh, and, and there's no downside if, you know, if you don't sell them, you just think, oh, I didn't sell those this week. I'll just order a few, you know, not so many next week. Um, but now the publishing model is more 
around um, what they call firm sale, I think, uh, which basically means if you're the news agent and you say, how many do you want? And you say 20, then you get 20. And if you sell 18, you have to throw away the other two. If right. you sell eight, you have to throw away the other 12 and you've paid for the 20. So that encourages you to order small because you, you don't want to be, you know, you're risk averse. Whereas yeah. before, yeah. you know, you were quite, you know, you were quite happy to take a risk because you, you know, you, you wouldn't lose out. Whereas now you're like, oh, well, if this goes, I don't really know anything about comics. And yet I'm being asked to stock a comic. Well, I don't really know about that. Maybe I'll order one copy. And then somebody comes in, buys it and boom, the rest of the week, nobody can see it on your shelves. They don't buy it. So, you know, so, so that really, you know, changes the outlook from the person you want to sell. So now the news agent isn't buying it. So now, yeah, you know, you move to um, the, the direct market, I think is what you call comic shops, isn't it? Um, yeah. And you say these people will take a chance, but actually they're mainly take. you know, they'll buy it. But actually what they're doing mainly um, obviously is selling North American comics. They're selling Marvel comics. They're selling DC. They're selling image. You know, they're not, they were never set up to sell normal sort of, uh, British weekly, uh, you know, humor titles or nursery titles. Um, you know, those are things that you need a more mass market to uh, uh, to buy. Yeah. Now, is do you think that's why you're getting um, like the rebellion doing the compilations as a way to move into bookstores as opposed to like newsstands? Yeah, I, I think you know with with books, you know, obviously you've got. They're still producing 2000 AD. They're still every week. The, the magazine comes out once a month. You, but then you've got books. So then, you know, if, if you are, you know, I'm an accountant. So I think about, you know, earning, you know, getting money in, in mm. all sorts of different ways. So actually, if you've got weekly money, you've got monthly money, you've got stuff in bookstores, you've got digital, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, you've got lots of different revenue streams there. So, you, you know, you're not reliant on, you know, if, if 2008 only did things on newsstands, well, actually, in the last nine months, what would have happened to them? You know, mm -hmm. they, you know, they would have been they would have been had a really tough time because actually, you know, people are not at the moment leaving their houses very much. They're not walking yeah. past news agents. They're not making impulse purchases. They're not thinking I'm going to sit on a train for 20 minutes. I need something to read. You know, everyone's working from home. Um, so, you know, you know, they've you know, they do. Uh, you know subscriptions i think actually their subscription numbers have actually you know gone up uh you know because people you know don't you know they, you know they're invested in the characters and the stories and the world uh so they don't want to miss out and but they know they're not going to leave their house so much so um yeah so they, they've uh that they, they've yeah tried to make sure their eggs aren't all in one basket uh and i think you know they you know the amount of material they have um you know is vast the amount of it that could be reprinted is probably not vast you know there's a lot that i think you know that they would never reprint and there are some mm -hmm. volumes which you know, so billy's boots we come back to the crazy football strip <laughs> uh, i mentioned uh, at the start you know so they've they've put that out and that says volume one on it which i always think that's a good start you know that says there's going to be more and they've advertised the volume two but you know there's probably you know if you run you know two or three pages a week you know you run that for a year you know to get you know one year is going to be you know 120 150 pages you know it's going to be quite a big book yeah you know you can't pull out 10 years of that in one go you know you can you can only put out you know one year at a time um and you know the market for that is not huge so you know how many volumes can you put out a year you know it might work out brilliantly they could spend the next 20 years reprinting this stuff and it would be fine but the demographic of the people buying it 
is obviously moving along at the same rate and therefore you know the number of kids who were able to read that strip when it came out in the 1970s you know they're aging as well so there's an you know there's an element of you've got to sort of catch them while they're you know affluent enough you know in their sort of 40s and 50s you know that they can afford to buy you know a lot of this stuff um before you know mate you know they get to their you know their 60s and 70s and they have less money and they start dying off a bit so yeah they got they got to pitch it right now, do you think there's a a future for doing because i know like again rebellion will do digital straight digital copies do you think that's where everything's gonna go or um um i, I mean like yeah i mean for somebody like rebellion you know for stocking you know or servicing the north american market you know uh, there's you know there's a lot of stuff at the moment about you know po- postage rates you know to and from uh not you know especially to to the u.s uh you know i just know are so high uh that actually you know it, you know it's it's unsustainable to ship material from here uh you know to the us so you know digital solves that problem uh in in a heartbeat um and i think even with the problems that it brings with it like you know do you you know do you really own that comic can somebody really just you know delete your account and take all that out, away from you and suddenly you have nothing versus having the sort of the actual physical copies of books um you know I, I just think you know that's the way people are going to consume that that material and that's the way they're going to collect that material um is yeah, is is digitally um because it's yeah it's they don't own the printing presses anymore i think it's all about the printing presses you know so uh, you know whereas they can send a pdf out you know in a, in a you know in a heartbeat you know and it can go anywhere in the world um and they're just you know there isn't enough of an audience here you know demographic graphically in the uk compared to what there was in the 1950s so you know if you can't you know if, if you need uh, you know i don't know whatever it is you know 10 million kids and you need you know one percent of them buy comics well if you haven't got that 10 million kids in the uk you need to find that 10 million kids around the world so that one percent of them will buy your comic uh and you know you're, you're going to do that with digital or else you end up you know having the sort of the childhood you did where individual issues turn up you know occasionally uh and was very similar here for not not myself because i'm not a collector of, Amer- of american comics but you know i listen to enough podcasts where people talk about you know on a saturday they would get on their bike and they would ride around all the news agents within like a five mile radius of their house because they did not know what american comics they would find at any of those news agents because the news agents would just get some comics occasionally so they would you know trial you know go around all these news agents just to see what they could find but they could never get a run of Spider-Man comics or Batman comics or anything, you know, and if you couldn't get a run of those, you would never get a run of, you know, I don't know, JLA or something. Um, so, you know, do you want to have people, you know, getting hold of your comic occasionally? No, you want them to get it every week. You know, you, you've got to get them to be a, become a consumer. So, yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm a dinosaur holding out for not reading my comics digitally, but um, I've still got plenty of paper comics to read, so. 2,000 of them, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I'll send you some. I'll send you some photos afterwards. You can uh, put, the, put put those in the show notes. Okay, yeah, please do, please do, so the audience can actually see it. That 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 sounds really impressive. Yeah. Uh, it could be worse. You could be a Japanese collector because, of course, I I I don't know if you actually see what a Japanese uh, weekly comic looks like, but it looks like a phone book. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's in London there was, there's one you know there's a couple of shops that I would think I could go to if I wanted Japanese comics and and yeah wow that's yeah. <laughs> And imagine 30 years worth of those. 
week weekly. You wouldn't actually. It would take a whole house to basically just hold them. Not in not even a room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have time to read them, let alone store them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. pretty incredible. That, well, that's why they've got such a big secondary trade paperback market in Japan. Anything worth anything that's popular at all gets turned into trade paperbacks as long as it can reach eight to ten chapters. That's enough to put in a trade paperback. So that's what they do. Enough to go. Yeah. So that's I think that's the one thing that they did from the sounds of it that the UK market should have probably done but just never did was that collection approach was that get them out and then yeah. collect them as soon as you know whatever's popular yeah i just collect that and release a trade paperback of that you know two or three times a year and if they'd yeah. done that they might have actually been able to even expand the market yeah 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 yeah. no i think it's a real you know it's a it's a, it's a thing that you know for whatever you know reason didn't happen and and yeah you know you didn't have that push into you know in, in, into bookshops, uh, exactly. you know, it's just you know, we we got enough, you know, probably in that. Well, surely we're making enough money. We don't need to do you know anything different. Uh, but you know, over time, you know, the, the market shrunk, um, and, and yeah, that's the way it worked out. Okay, no. Yeah. So, any other questions, Don, before we finish up for today? Uh, oh, there's there's so much because uh, I think again, a lot of people in North America don't realize just how vast and varied like the the british comic book industry has always been but no we've got a good a lot of good stuff you've answered a lot of the questions that i've wondered about for for years because like i say here we just got we we'd get continuous ones but the odd smattering and again it was always this weird wonderland because i never knew what was going to come i never knew what kind of stories one day you're getting scream one day you're getting monster fun one day you're getting Gundy. <laughs> and, <laughs> And it just seemed that, yeah, that like the British comic industry is this weird, wacky, kind of like apocalyptic land of just craziness. So, yeah, it was nice to, to, to get answers to some of these these things that have bothered me for going on 50 years now. <laughs> that, that's OK. Yeah. I mean, like you say, the, you know, the, the, the volume, the number of titles. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's in, it's incredible. You know, and you could look at all of them and yeah the the you know the, the millions and millions of pages of, of stuff that was produced you know it, it's it's too much for for any one person mm -hmm. it, it really is so so thank you so much richard for coming on the show and talking to us and our audience about uk comics like as i said yeah. at the beginning it's such an uh a, a mysterious other world to us and um you've really helped clear up a lot of things that i wondered about as same as Dolan there and we really appreciate you coming on no, as, as far as it's, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you guys. Okay, so, okay, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Don. And thank you, listener. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, please drop by obeythedna.com uh, for show notes. And uh, if you have any for anything you wonder about, please leave comments on the show, and maybe Richard can help answer them later, or maybe we can even have him back for to answer other questions that you have at some point in the future. So take care, and we'll see you next month. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Happy Christmas. Oh, yes. Merry Christmas. Get the annuals. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember... That to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!